join me for a word of prayer? Words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I said yes on Friday morning that I would preach today because I had just finished preaching a sermon a couple of weeks ago in Livermore that I prepared right after the mass shootings that went on during that week. So I'll share that sermon with you today. You know, every time there's mass shootings, a lot of us are wounded. I feel wounded, wounded with grief, grief for the people who have been shot, grief for the, their relatives, their loved ones. I feel rage at the NRA and politicians who kowtow to them. I feel animosity, let's be more honest, I feel hatred. Hatred toward people who could do such a thing, kill these people. And that hatred spills over, not just toward them, but toward groups like uh, ISIS and white supremacy groups that endorse such violence. I want revenge. I want justice. And Jesus says, forgive your enemies. And I say, ha! How in the hell do I do that? And I'm not swearing. I'm talking theologically. (laughs) Because when I am filled with rage and resentment and animosity, I am in hell. And when one is wrapped up in that, how do I love? How do I forgive someone such unforgivable acts. Bishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter Info has a wonderful book on the, called The Book of Forgiving, a little paperback. I tell you, it, it, it changed my whole view on forgiveness. And he says in here, forgiveness is never done on behalf or for somebody else. Forgiveness is something we do for ourselves. Because it, when we forgive somebody for some horrible thing they've done, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter whether they're repentant. It has nothing to do with forgiveness. Forgiveness is a cleansing process in our soul to cleanse us of the toxicity of hatred, revenge, grudge, whatever have you. It's for us. Let it go. Cleanse ourselves. You know, South Africa was under, in apartheid was in effect. 13% of the people, 13% of South Africa were whites. And they ruled everything. They lived in cities which nobody else could live in. Great atrocities against black people. And the fear was on the part of the whites, if we ever give them the power, they will retaliate. And there'll be a bloodbath. Nelson Mandela asked Bishop Tutu to set up a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And they devised a plan by which people could be forgiven. And to be forgiven, you had to come before the commission and tell the truth. 
tell exactly what you did. Then you had to sit there and listen to the relatives or the people whom you had wronged tell you the effects, the consequences of your behavior. Then you would be forgiven and you could join the new South Africa. There was no bloodbath. There was no retaliation. No organized acts of revenge. A powerful moment in human history and people noticed that and, and have followed it. There have been in 22 different countries, there have been revolutions since that time that had the results have used some form of Truth and Reconciliation Commission rather than the oppressed simply taking over and becoming the oppressor. Another way to approach it. And there have been a number of institutes and classes and colleges on forgiveness. The, the institute, called, now called the International Institute, uh, Forgiveness Institute, paired up with the University of Wisconsin to develop a curriculum for children, one to three, uh, first to third grades, to teach them forgiveness. And they chose the most difficult place they could see in the world for English-speaking people, and that would be Belfast, Ireland, to go in there and teach children to forgive. Now, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Belfast was, has been a place of great violence between the Catholics and the Protestants. They have separate neighborhoods. They have separate school districts. They, the twain does not meet. So they approached the Protestant school district. The school district agreed they would teach it, but they had to have agreement of every parent before they would do it. And so they were, parents were approached something like this. We want to have a course on forgiveness for your child and all the children. It has nothing to do with the Catholics. It's to teach them of how they will live without having grudges and resentment and need to retaliate. They will be free of that. Every parent wanted that for their children. They didn't have it. They wanted it for their children to be free. And the very next year, the Roman Catholic School District nearby also contracted with the University of Wisconsin, taught the same curriculum. And it's been over a dozen years. They were supposed, the experiment was for three years. They're still teaching it. And as a result, on their website now for the Institute of, of International Forgiveness states that unthinkable 10 years ago, there are now integrated classes of Catholics and, and Protestant children. And those who were in that first third grade that was taught 12 or 13 years ago are now becoming adults. And in those districts, the rate of juvenile crime decreased by 66%. It does make a difference. Now, who in, the, who in the world wouldn't want that for their children? I'll tell you who. Well, let's look at it at least for themselves. Colombia was one of those 22 countries that have had a revolution. There started 50 years ago, 53 years ago now, that civil war. And they took a referendum to the public 
three years ago this month and asked them whether they should be peace accords and accept each other for a new Columbia and forgive the past. The majority voted against it. 220,000 people had been murdered. 25,000 have just disappeared. Seven million people have been displaced. And the leaders of the government and the rebels had gotten together and they knew what happened in South Africa. And they said, this is the only way we'll ever get out of this. We forgive each other and start afresh. The vote was very close. So they did it anyway. They signed their peace. The rebels turned in their weapons. Now, it hasn't been a smooth road since then. It's been difficult because there's a new rebel group now that's arising to fight the government. And the drug kings went back in and that kind of thing. But there's a public opinion poll that shows if people were voting today in Colombia, over two-thirds of them would vote in favor of it. There's got to be another way than just escalating the violence and spreading it. You see, what people, when they're asked the question, they interviewed some people, and, and the answer most commonly given was, I want justice. And you let them off the hook, there's no justice. I want to get even. And of course, one ever thinks their side is above, you know, gotten even with the other already. You've got to get even. That was the point. Want justice. Let me ask you, where do you think justice comes Does justice come out of rage and revenge? Or does it come when one is freed of that? The statue of justice, the image is blindfolded. Image justice cannot take into effect resentments and grudges and so forth. It's got to be free of that so that justice can be done. Shift gears a little bit. I want to tell you about a film. Probably maybe some of you have seen it called Big Business. Laurel and Hardy, 1928 silent film. Um, It's on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's free. Look at it. It's great. Laurel and Stanley are selling Christmas trees. So they carry their Christmas tree along up to the door and they knock on the door, uh, ring the doorbell, Mr. Van Leeson's house. And he opens the door and they point the tree they're selling. He shakes his head no and he slams the door. Well, the door got slammed on a piece of the tree is in the door. And they can't get it out. So they ring the doorbell again. And he opens the door. And this time, immediately he slams it. And Stanley didn't get the tree out. They press the doorbell. This time he just opens the door a crack to see it's them. And Stanley gets the, gets the tree out. And then when he slams the door, Stanley's coat is... is, is caught in it. They have to ring the doorbell again. And this time he pulls his coat out real quick and he gets the tree caught in it. <laughs> and they ring the doorbell again. This time Mr. Van Lacen comes out with pruning hooks and he cuts the tree into pieces. Well, they're so angry. So they retaliate by getting a knife and they cut off his doorbell and pull it off the house. And they pull the numbers off the house and they carve on his, in his doorpost and he sees that, so he comes out. He goes over to their car, which is a 1920s car, and he takes the headlamp off of it and tears it off. 
and throws it through the windshield. They see that. They go over to his porch light on his porch and they tear it off and they throw it through his window. He sees that. He goes out and he takes the cushions out of their car and throws them out. They, they go into his house and carry his, his piano is thrown out on the lawn and smashed. And he goes back and tears the door off. And they go back and forth. And finally, all there's left of the car is the motor standing there. All the wheels are off. Everything just flat on the ground, pieces. And the house you look at, all the shrubs have been pulled out, the tree cut down, the windows all broken, the chimneys knocked off the roof. It's a shambles. That film is listed by the National Registry, uh, Registry, Film Registry as one of the 100 most significant socially speaking films. That is the history of the world without forgiveness. That's the history of our lives without forgiveness. When we've got to get even. We've got to retaliate. And and so clear in the movie, all it would have taken is one of them to say, I forgive you. Let's stop this foolishness. And the house and the car could have stayed and they would have had them. But the world, we can look at that movie, Big Business was the title of it. And it has that other implications too in it. But it certainly, look at our world, the way things are escalating. We've taken off the restrictions on nuclear weapons and we're developing more of them. Escalating. We're escalating in Iran uh, over the, uh, in the Gulf, over the oil tankers and so on. And we're escalating a trade war. And we're escalating this and escalating. Everything keeps getting, what's the hope? Where do we go with it? We can see it all around us. You can see it happen in Orlando, Florida, three years ago. Remember the shooting in the Pulse nightclub? 49 people murdered. It was done by a member of ISIS. And the reason it was for retaliation to get even with us for what we had done in the bombing in Syria and in Iraq where thousands of people have been killed. ISIS is an illustration of what happens when people let revenge take over in their lives. And it's addictive. So that a person's purpose in living becomes to, 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 to do injury to those who injured and did such horrible things to us. Filled with that rage. And so they kill. Lay their lives down. And we can say, well, thank goodness we're not that filled with rage. You know what we did after the, remember what we did after the shooting? The next day, President Obama announced, we're tripling our bombing raids on ISIS. We will kill even more of them. That will teach them. No, it won't. They will retaliate. Big business. Continue. There's got to be a better, better way. Gandhi said, if we continue to retaliate, if we continue to live by an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, we all end up blind and toothless. There's got to be another way. 
And Gandhi pointed to that way. And Martin Luther King pointed that way. And it's the way that Jesus taught. And that's in the scripture that was read to you this morning. It's a familiar picture of Jesus saying about forgiveness. It's too many times it's, it's laughed at. It's, it's taken out of context. But it's a powerful image. Don't take it literally. If someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek and they slap you. What do you do then? <laughs> Slug them. No, you miss that. Or what, what if they poke you in the nose? Then what do you do? You make a mockery of it. It's really the Jesus saying, whenever someone does something evil to you, you don't fight it. You don't respond with evil. You absorb it. Don't continue the cycle of violence or of evil. You respond with love. That's what Gandhi said. You know, he said, if, if I have a choice when someone harms me of either to fight or to just pa- be passive, I'll choose to fight. But there's another choice, and that is choose to aggressively love. Will not give in to hatred. Do not give in to the power of violence. And Jesus exemplifies this on the cross when the cruelest way to kill another person is by crucifixion and he's suffering and yet he calls out forgiveness for his murderers. That's the hope of the world. And Jesus' contention is that that's the very nature of God. The nature of the power that underlies this universe is love. And as a kid, I always heard that God is always forgiving. I thought, oh, thank goodness. because I can do what I want then and I'll be forgiven. But God forgives, but that's the kind of forgiving that means that the God of the universe does not have anger inside or hatred or need for revenge. God has none of that. There is love, and it will respond to us with love as to what is best. It doesn't mean that God condones what we do, that God does... uh, it says there's no consequences that we do or that God buys our excuses what we do or that God forgets. No, God wants justice, but there is love, forgiveness, and that's our hope. There's lots of illustrations of forgiveness. I'm thinking of uh, the one that moved me so deeply was Charleston where the Emmanuel AME Church, remember Dylan Root went in and shot them during a prayer meeting, nine, killed nine people. And the judge took a page of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and at his trial had him sit there and had to listen to the relatives of the people he killed tell him what that did to them. And I remember one particular lady named Bethune And she told about how her sister had been her closest friend in the world. And they communicated every day. And she talked about how you took away this light of my life. And she said, I'm a work in progress. But I remember my sister saying, there's no room for hate in this family. So I can't hate you. I've got to forgive you. And members of family after family of those murdered told Dylan, I forgive you. They would not be filled with hate. Didn't take away the consequences and so forth 
punishment, etc. But, you know, we, we, they published, you've seen what Dylan had intended. He wanted to start a race war. He thought that if he killed, shot some blacks, they would retaliate and shoot some whites. And then the whites would retaliate, big business all over again. They'd just escalate, and there'd be a race war, and the whites would win, and we'd be free to be an all-white society again. But he picked on the wrong people. They wouldn't spread it. They absorbed it and loved in response. Another illustration comes to mind. I was deeply moved by, I'm sure you too remember the Amish. Uh, Charles Rogers, a milkman, went to the school and shot what, nine or ten little girls and killed five of them. He had, um, his daughter had died ten years before and he'd been filled with anger and resentment and he wanted to get even with God. And the way he decided to do it was to take these godly people and let them suffer the way he had. He wanted to get even. Let them know and so he would kill the girls. The day of the shooting, the leaders of the Amish community called on Marie Rogers and her other children to tell her, the widow of the Charles, there will be no retaliation. We forgive him. He had taken his own life. And when there was a memorial service for him, most of the community boycotted it, refused to go. The Amish went. And they said, he was a child of God. He just went terribly wrong. And when money came in from all over the world to cover the funeral expenses and to help the community build a different schoolhouse, they shared the income with the murderer's family. There will be no retaliation, no spreading of the violence. I've never been called to forgive like that. And don't ever say, don't say to the Amish or say to the people in Charleston, forgiveness is, that's for the weak. Forgiveness. You're just condoning what they did. You don't accept the consequences. You buy their excuses for doing it. And you'll, you'll forget it. Oh no. They'll never forget. But they will never give way to resentment and hatred. So as followers of Jesus, we have the, we have the choice. Every time we're wronged, be it Violence against ourselves or our family, be it a, a family member who betrays us, be it somebody at work who stabs us in the back to climb over us, or be it a rude clerk at the store or someone who crowds in front of us on the highway who rudely does it. We choose how to respond. I like what Paul says about it. He says, be angry, but don't let your son go down on your anger. Don't hold a grudge. Get it out. Be honest about your feelings and get it out and leave it in God's hands and let it go. It has no, your forgiveness has nothing to do with that person. It's all about your heart 
cleansing, freeing. And when we do that, then we are able to truly pray the Lord's Prayer. Oh God, forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people. Amen.